Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, 28, 31, 2, chapter 2, 7, and 18 through 25. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. Genesis chapter 2, 7, 18 through 25. Then the Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought, him, brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lisa, for reading that. And nice shoes. Those are very nice shoes. Good morning, everyone. My name's Eric. I'm the pastor here. If I haven't had a chance um, to meet you, um, I would love to do so. We're starting the year with a new series. Uh, it's the t a teaching series called Embodied. You see it there on the front of your bulletins. Um, why are we doing a series on the body? Well, there are a few reasons. One, in our everyday uh, practical thinking about our faith, <clears throat> what we think it means to walk with Jesus, when we think about spirituality as Christians, I think for most of us, I think it's the case for myself as well. I'm being challenged here. We think about the body kind of in the background, kind of secondary to matters that are immaterial, right? We think of the physical and the bodily as uh, just the lesser part of our walk with Jesus. But the problem with that is that not, that's not how the Bible speaks about it. So we need to be corrected. So that's reason one why we're doing this series. Reason two is, and it's connected to reason one, many of our most profound struggles, questions, contested issues in our world today are related to the body. The impact of technology on our humanity, 
virtual and embodied. How does a virtual life affect our embodied life and vice versa? The breakdown of embodied communities, epidemic of loneliness, sexuality, gender, race, all these things are about the body. We need to know what the Bible teaches about the body and how it applies to the struggles and the challenges of our lives and of our world today. And that's reason number two. Reason three that I didn't share last week. I'm taking a class right now called the Theology of the Body. So I wanted friends to learn with me. And so that is all of you. I'm, I'm learning a lot. I have some things I, I hope to share with you, but I also hope to learn with you. So those are the three big reasons. And last week, just to review what we covered, I want to share just a graphic that summarizes what we talked about last week as we kick things off. And there I shared a framework for understanding issues related to the body. And that framework comes from the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the God-man. Let's put that graphic up. There it is. So just to review here, this is the framework. Within this box, so to speak, we can understand and navigate questions related to our bodies. First, God fully values our bodies. If we believe in Jesus, we can't deny this because Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is embodied forever. God fully understands our bodies. As we talked about last week, not from the outside, from up on high, out in the distance, somewhere far away as a distant deity, but from the inside in every way. Suffering, temptation, and weakness, God understands. Thirdly, God is the full authority on and over our bodies. He's one of us, yes, but he's also Lord over us. What he says about our bodies has full authority. And finally, there at the bottom, God is fully invested in the full redemption of our bodies. Jesus did not become an embodied human and suffer and die and rise again in a glorious new body forever so he would be the only one. Think about that. He did it for us so we could share with him in a newly glorified and redeemed body. If Jesus is truly now risen and glorified, we can be 100% sure of that. This is the framework. You can keep that in mind. I'll probably share this out so you can have this. We'll probably return to this throughout the course of the series. This morning, we are moving on from Jesus' body to our bodies. What does the Bible say about our bodies? So this, the incarnation is probably framework piece one. What I'll share this morning will be framework piece two, and then we'll get into more specifics as we go. I'd like to start this message a little bit different. If everyone here this morning, if you could please humor me on this, we're going to have this uh, congregational participation moment here, and it's going to involve your phone. Can you please take out your phone? Yes. And go ahead and get your camera app going. And I'd like everybody this morning, I'll do it too, to take a selfie. Everybody do it. If you don't have a phone, get your friends or your neighbors or your parents and let's all just take a selfie here. Let me get one going like this. There we go. Okay. Good, good, good. Um... Everybody got their selfie? Okay, now that you've taken the selfie, 
Did you look at it already? You can take a look at your selfie. What do you see? Self. You see myself. I don't know how many of you are thinking, oh, that's not a bad picture. I mean, that is a bad picture. I'm going to take it again, you know, delete, keep trying again. You're laughing, so maybe some of you thought that. Or, may, or maybe you look at it, you're like, that's good. You know, I'm looking at me, that's a good picture. I'm going to keep that one. That's a keeper. This is an image of you, right? This picture that we've just taken. At least it's a part of you, your body. A part of your body, at least. Don't delete it, save it. We're going to come back to that. The question, who am I? Is that me? That selfie I just took. Who am I is probably one of the most important and central questions we could ever imagine. Who am I? How, how we answer that affects everything about our lives. Here's what I want you to think about this morning. How does my body fit into my answer to that question? Who am I? And what does my body have to do with it? If we could go to the next slide. One more. There it is. This is how the Bible answers that question. To be human, who am I? Who are you? To be human is to be an embodied person created in the image of God. This is who you are. This is who I am. The body is not what you have. The body is part of who you are. And you can't take out from that definition the embodied part. God doesn't. Why not? Let's look at three things about the body. We'll be spending a lot of time in the passage we just read and looking at a few other passages right now. Why doesn't God take the embodied part out? Well, first, we'll go one at a time. I'll give you the three points as we go. First, because your body is wonderfully made. This is what is taught in Genesis 1 and 2. The first two chapters of the Bible, we are told who we are there. Let's look at Genesis 1 first. This may be too obvious to point out, but maybe it's so obvious that we can pass by it too quickly. God created the human body. He is the designer. He is the craftsman. He is the artist of the human body. It's repeated three times there, just in Genesis 1.27. God created. He created. He created for emphasis. The word create there, a significant word in the Bible. Only God is said to do this action, to create. We form, we shape, we take what he has made and we form things out of it. But he is the one who creates, designs. He's the craftsman behind it all. In the context of chapter 1, we're told everything that God creates and calls good. If you just think about Genesis 1, it's all physical and material. The heavens and the earth, the sun, the moon... The land, the sea, all the plants, the animals, all physical and material things. He calls it good throughout Genesis 1. Physical and material equals good, not less than immaterial, not of a second class or second order. It is good. And then look at verse 31. After the creation of humanity as physically embodied creatures, we are told God saw all that he had made, the bodies he made, and it was very good Indeed, his final achievement, his best achievement, 
He says, I'm done. This is very good. Now, this is so significant. It means when God sees us, our bodies, he sees something he created, his marvelous piece of art. As theologian Herman Boving said, it's in the reflection quotes, his workmanship, when he sees us, no matter what kind of body, type of body, age of body, he says, very good indeed to be an embodied person is very good indeed. Not only do we see that our bodies here are created by God, we see what they are created for. Also repeated three times in verses 26 through 27 is the word image. Let's make man in our image, verse 26, in our image. God created us in his own image, 27. He created him in the image of God. The word image in the Hebrew was a word that was used for idols. Idols that human beings made to represent gods as they saw them. That's the same word here. It's fascinating. Because this is the reverse. Instead of a human being fashioning something that would be the physical embodiment of the, de- of the deity, this is God making us to represent him. And this includes our bodies. As embodied persons made in the image of God, we are, all of us, including our body, made to be a visible manifestation of what God is like, of who God is like, of his invisible glory, goodness, beauty, and grace. Now, back to the selfie. The picture you took, and it's not you, this is an imperfect illustration, but I think it works. It's not you, that picture, but it is a representation of you. It reflects who you are and what you are like. And now let me ask you this question. Would God, God Almighty, make something to represent himself that he didn't like? Right? So if Maybe in in grade school or something, in kindergarten, this is a good assignment. Bring something to school that represents you. You know, you wouldn't bring like a crumpled piece of paper and say like, this is me. Or you wouldn't bring like, um, I don't know, leftover meatloaf or something and say, this represents me. This is God saying, I am going to create something made to manifest, to reveal to reflect who I am and how did he do it? He made us. Embodied humanity to reveal and reflect him. Let's look at Genesis 2, which zooms in and slows down to tell us more about how God formed us. There's so much here, but what I want you to see here is the order because it's the reverse of how we often think about who we are. It says in chapter 2, verse 7, God formed, this is the same word as we looked at earlier in Isaiah, David was was mentioning this, the potter who forms and shapes the clay. God forms the man out of the dust from the ground, his body, and then breathed the breath of life into him. We could call that his soul, his spirit. There, There are different ways that we could describe that. Then the man became a living being. You see the order there? That's significant. Body formed by God, breath of life given by God. Why is this important? 
we are not souls that have like a bodily casing. Sometimes we think about it. Much less a bodily prison for the soul. Biblically speaking, if we stick to the language of this text, to be human is to be an animated body or an incarnated, not, not an incarnated soul, if you see the difference. The body in this text comes first. It's not like there was a holding tank of souls in heaven, right? Everybody's soul is like in this big aquarium, I don't know, soul aquarium, and you take it out and say, look, this is the Eric soul. Now let's go find him a body for that. Now, there's profound unity here. And in fact, in Genesis 2, it says, God created the body and then animated it with the spirit. Why is that important? Well, I think it's important for a lot of reasons, but one is because of this. The body is not incidental to who we are. As if we could take out our soul and then interchange it with another body and we'd be the same us. Or that the soul gives us a truer answer about who we are than our human bodies. Genesis 2 says it's inseparable. We are body and soul. Though our body and soul and spirit can be distinguished, and they are in scripture, as they are here even, they are designed to be inseparable and interconnected. Inner and outer. Visible, invisible, soul, body, spiritual, physical, belong together. So let's think about the applications, friends, of this. Who am I? We got our selfie picture, right? Who am I? What do I look at when I see my photo? What am I seeing? You are an embodied person made in the image of God. This is how God made you. Psalm 139 takes Genesis 1 and 2 and tells us it applies uniquely to each one of us, not just Adam and Eve, all of us, everybody and every body. I think I have that on the slides, Psalm 133. Let's see if that's, or Psalm 139. If not, some of it is in the reflection quotes. It says this, For it was you, who created my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous. I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. What this is saying is, who am I? You are wonderfully made. You are a wonder body and soul. In a unique, unrepeatable way, you are very good, handcrafted to reveal something of God. You are unrepeatable. This is saying you are a wonder. Wonderfully made, you are a wonder. Now we can see some, some of this in just the reality, the facts of our body. No one has ever found two sets of fingerprints that are Matching? No one knows why. Why is that? Though we share 99.9% .9 of our genes, no two human genes are exactly alike. You are an unrepeatable wonder. God looks at you, at the whole you, and says, very good. He says, your body is wonderfully made. Now, I just want to ask you, is that what you said when you looked at your picture? Wonderfully made. <laughs> 
Is this how you see others? Their whole selves, each unique human body. Now we have all kinds of scales of value and worth that we use to measure our own bodies and the bodies of others. Scales of maleness, scales of femaleness. Look at this passage here again. Is there a scale? There's not a literal scale. And there's not a ruler. There's not a ranking system. There are not certain bodily attributes that are given more glory and dignity than others by God that are more good. No, all you need is a human body. And you're a wonder. You are wonderfully made. You might be thinking, this sounds good. But life in the body, my body, is not always wonderful, right? Maybe you say, I took a look at my selfie, and I didn't say wonderfully made. <laughs> I said, I saw, that's not what I saw, I saw uh, too skinny, not skinny enough, too short, too tall, too much gray hair, that's what I saw. <laughs> this feature is off of myself, this is not the one that I want. I look out at the world and you say there's not a scale, but there feels like there is a scale of value. There is a ranking system. Some bodies are seen better than others, more wonderful than others. And this puts pressure on me to measure up. Or to this pressure that I feel like I'll never measure up. I know you say we were made in the image of God. But body image is my main struggle. I don't feel at home in my body. It's not a gift. It feels like a burden or Maybe your body's breaking down in some way. Physical condition, bodily ailment. If my body is a wonder, why does it hurt? Cause me so much pain. I wish I could get rid of it and escape it. The Bible says, not only your body has been wonderfully made, it also teaches us that our bodies, all bodies, have been tragically broken. Because we live in a world where sin has broken everything and all of us, including our bodies. Genesis 2.25, if you look at the very end of the, of the passage. What a beautiful picture we have there of complete acceptance of the gift of the body, right? Naked and unashamed. That means complete acceptance of their bodies. That they had been given, male and female, different, and yet they completely accepted theirs and the body of the other. We get no hint of objectification here. No one feels gawked at, measured up, or judged, or ignored. There's no discomfort here. No squeamishness, there's no giggling here, there's no airbrushing or photo editing. Naked and unashamed, Adam and Eve were seen fully by each other and fully accepted and loved and there was no sense in standing before each other that something is wrong with me. This is how God intended it to be. What happened in the next chapter we're told, it's not printed here, we didn't read it, but the next chapter, Genesis 3, tells us that when Adam and Eve distrusted God and disobeyed him, sin enters the human experience. The curse of sin is not only experienced relationally, spiritually, in our souls, but also bodily. 
In Genesis 3, God says, I gave you a purpose, I gave you a mandate and a mission, but now that's going to come with bodily pain. Childbirth will be painful. Work will encounter thorns and thistles. He said, be fruitful and multiply and work and subdue the earth. Well, now that's going to come with bodily pain. Your bodily needs will only be met with sweat and soil, and we who are dust will return to dust. Our bodies will break down and die. Now, instead of being naked and unashamed, how do they feel about their bodies? We're told in Genesis 3 that they hide in shame from one another, that they hide from God, and I think we could even say they're hiding from themselves. They're cowering in the bushes and covering themselves, we're told. They no longer feel like I'm a wonder. Without pride or without like drawing attention to themselves, they, they lost the sense of saying, I'm a wonder. I am pleasing. I am presentable. I am holy and sacred, body and soul. And so they covered their bodies and hid. This is the tension we live in with our bodies, wonderfully made and yet tragically broken. And this explains at the root our struggles and tensions with our bodies. It explains why we're not acceptable and pleasing as we are to ourselves. One major way we feel this, I've already mentioned, is, is our issues with body image. And that can affect us in many different ways. Now, surveys tell us that even models have high rates of what we call body dysmorphia, with an obsession with bodily defects. Like if models have that obsession, what, if, what about the rest of us? How beautiful do we have to be? What does the image have to be that we're shooting for and shaping ourselves to form ourselves into? We don't feel acceptable and pleasing the way we are. It explains why we use all kinds of coverings to try to make ourselves pleasing and acceptable. Exercise and fitness, a great thing, but often motivated by trying to get the right body, keep the right body, through diet and discipline. Maybe not so much for health, but so that we can have the right image that we think is acceptable and pleasing to ourselves and others all the different cosmetic products and procedures that we undergo, all these ways we try to change our appearance to achieve the look so we can make ourselves pleasing and acceptable. A word I've come across in my reading the past few weeks is the word incongruence. And I feel like that's a great word to describe our experience of tension in the body. Incongruence. We don't feel like in so many ways that this is the body that we feel at home in. Instead of wholeness and unity of body and soul, the sense of being at home, we, we are not unashamed, but we are ashamed, covered in shame. We don't feel like we're acceptable and pleasing in our bodies. We experience that bodily incongruence. I'd like to take a moment now to address one of the more complex ways we can experience difficulty with our bodies, this sense of incongruence, and that's with sex and gender, biological sex. 
is what I'm referring to when I use the word sex. We have seen this become an issue that has risen to cultural awareness. There's a lot of disagreement and conflict about how to understand, how to approach this topic. I'm going to spend just, just a few brief moments on this. It's a very complex matter that deserves fuller attention at another time. In Genesis 1.27, we're told, God, he created them male and female. Every human being is given the gift of a male or female body. Only together do they image God fully, male and female, equal in dignity and glory, yet different, both equal in wonder. The Bible here and elsewhere teaches that as whole persons, we are not meant to separate our inner person from our outer person, our inner self, soul, mind, however we want to describe it, from our outer self, i.e. our male or female bodies. The gift of our bodies tells us who we are. Right? It's not just that we look inside to find out who we are. We look at the body that we have been gifted. That tells us who we are. Are we embodied male persons made in the image of God or embodied female persons made in God's image? There's a lot of complexity here, but we're not to look inward to find the true person. Our true person is given to us as a gift with the bodies God has formed for us. So while biological sex and gender used to be largely synonyms, they've come to mean different things. In common use today, sex means our biological maleness, uh, femaleness, um, which is binary, one or the other, and that's a fact of biology. And then there's gender, which means our, our sense of maleness or femaleness is how it's often used today, our masculinity or femininity. What I can say, I can't say everything here, but what I think I can say that is important. What scripture doesn't do here or really anywhere else is provide us with a detailed description of maleness and femaleness. There's no book of man in the Bible or book of woman. There's a lot of men and women in the Bible doing various things. Being made in the image of God equally, male and female, means we share all human capacities, males and females. We share all human characteristics, male and female. These common capacities and characteristics are expressed differently in our male and female bodies. One author I was reading said it like this. I think it's helpful. We are meant to be godly, meaning reflective of God. That's everyone. Not first of all manly or womanly. We're meant to reflect God. And we do that uniquely as men and women. Two final things. So we must be careful that we not say what the Bible does not say about these things or that we exaggerate what the Bible says about these things or say less than what it says about these things. That's how Sam Albury puts it in his book, on the body. So we must be firm, I think, as Christians, based on Genesis 1 and 2, we must be firm against gender stereotypes. Stereotypes come from somewhere we know, experience, etc., patterns. But we must not say these gender stereotypes are what it means to be man and woman. We need to be very careful about that and not go beyond what Scripture says. And also, firm about gender distinctions. 
holding those two together. Not easy, but I think it's what we're called to do based on this text. Much more could be said, and we'll have opportunity to have those conversations as a church community, but I'd like to move on. In all our hiding, and all of our covering, and all of the incongruence we might feel, what we are looking for is something. What we are looking for is someone to tell us, you are a wonder, just how you are, just how you've been formed and created. You are acceptable, you are pleasing, you are holy, you are good, all of you. But we can't get it by changing the body. And we can't get it just by telling ourselves over and over again to accept our body. It's a whole self issue. And it needs a whole self solution. What does the Bible say is the solution? You are wonderfully made. You are tragically broken. But thirdly, the good news of the gospel is good news for the body, which tells us your body will be wonderfully remade. How? Friends, we look to Jesus. The wonderfully made body of Jesus. The tragically broken body of Jesus and the wonderfully remade body of Jesus. Did you know, according to the Bible, Jesus had the most perfect and wonderful body ever? Not because of how he looked. It's not because of how ripped he was. We don't know what he looked like. I know, it's not the guy from The Chosen. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> there are some pictures around even this church facility, like Jesus with long eyelashes. I don't, I don't know if he had long eyelashes. No one knows. It's not about that. It's not about his appearance. It's because he perfectly reflected God. He shows us what the body is for, the wonder that the body was made for and meant to be. Colossians 1.15, we can go to that slide, says, He is the image of the invisible God. He reveals the invisible God to us, invisible, physical form as a man. We could talk about this a lot, but just think about this. What he says, right? His body is speaking. What he says, how he listens with his ears, who he touches, how he walked with people, with his feet, who he ate with, how he saw people that no one saw. Is there any more wonderful description of who God is that anyone has ever conceived of than the bodily description of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. I mean, I'm a Christian because I don't think there is. He has shown us who God is by his life in the body amongst us. This is what the body is for. But though Jesus perfectly imaged and reflected God, Jesus' body was tragically broken. And he knew it would be. And he chose this. Why? If you could go to the next slide, Hebrews 10. This is a longer passage. I hope you can kind of see that there on the screen. I've bolded the places that refer to the body. And it says there in Hebrews 10, Therefore, as Jesus was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, i.e. the animal sacrifices, 
but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole bird offerings. I can't read that. <laughs> and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter into the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. What does God want? What God requires, the reason he gave us our bodies, is that we might offer them back to him in loving obedience to reflect him as his image. That we might say, you made me a wonder, God, thank you. I offer my body to you. I say with it, I've come to do your will, God. Sin is saying to God, I do not offer you my body to reflect you. I use it to reflect my will, not yours. What this passage is saying is showing us what we owe to God with our bodies. We owe him the offering of our bodies. And what is the just penalty for not offering them? Well, to dust they shall return our bodies. And the gospel is the answer. The gospel is the answer to the tension. The gospel is the answer to the curse. How Jesus lives the life we should have lived in the body. He offers his body fully. He takes the penalty we deserve in our bodies, the death of the body, in our place. And here is what Jesus says to you with his broken body. Verse 11. All of us, all, all of us, including our body, has been sanctified once for all time. So you can draw near to God in full assurance of faith. With your body, it's been washed in pure water. You are accepted. You are pleasing. You are holy. Sacred, not just the inner part of you, all of you. Your body's been washed. And our tragic, tragically broken bodies experience this incongruence, this breakdown. And Jesus says to us, He's going to say it to us again as we come to the Lord's table This is my body given for you broken for you. Final few thoughts. The wonderfully made body of Jesus, the tragically broken body of Jesus, and the even more wonderfully remade body of Jesus, his risen body, we can go to the next slide, that was broken and died, is scarred forever. That body is the most beautiful body in the universe. Why? Because that body perfectly reflects God to us, God's will for us and our bodies. The risen body of Jesus, made whole forever, free of brokenness, disease, and death. A wonder we can't imagine. Jesus says, this is the body I'm going to give to you. Philippians 3, 20 and 21, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will do what? He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body 
by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself, you will not be fully at home in this body. The wonderfully made yet tragically broken body in this life. It's the body of our humble condition. But one day you and your body will be made glorious. It will be all that it's meant to be. Reflecting the glory of the one who made it. The good news about the body according to Christianity, the gospel, is by faith your body is united to Jesus's. You and your body are acceptable, pleasing, and holy to him. Not to use as we please for our pleasure or for the approval and acceptance of others. Not to make your body a body that's pleasing to you. But in order that your body might be a body that's offered as service and worship. To reflect the one who gave his body for you. He offered his body for us so that we might be set free from all our efforts and coverings and struggles to make it acceptable and pleasing to ourselves and others. With our life in the body, we get to reflect all he's done for us. So we offer the gift of our bodies back to the one who gave them to us, to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him, to show others something of Jesus. The selfie, if you want to take it out and look at it again, or not. What do you see? A body made in the image of God, holy and pleasing and acceptable to God. He gave it to you. He redeemed it. He prepared it for you. Now offer it back to him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have something, you have much to say about our struggles in our bodies. And I pray that you would meet us where we are, whether it's in a place of feeling some level of just incongruence, this is not the body we want or feel like is acceptable, pleasing to ourselves or others. In our feverish attempts to try to cover ourselves in various ways. I pray you would meet us with good news. The good news that this incredible gift that you've given to us that we sometimes don't know what it's for or why we've been given to it has been redeemed by the broken body of your son. And as we come to this table this morning, I pray with thanksgiving, thank you that you have given us your word, but you've also given us this sacrament. So the things that are so hard for us to believe about ourselves that we are wholly acceptable and pleasing to you, all of us, that you could drive it home as we take and taste and drink the broken body of our Savior and his shed blood for us. I pray that you would give us abundant grace during this time that we believe and that in believing that we mean this much to you, all of us, that you would give your only son for us, that we would be able to have the strength, the grace that comes from you to offer ourselves back to you, to use our bodies for what you've given us to use them for. 
to bring honor and glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.